1: Election College, Episode 108. The Life of John Adams, Part 1.
0: Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, Your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith.
1: Ben, early on in the podcast, we talked about his rotundity, John Adams. And let's face it, we kind of picked on him. I mean, his hair.
0: He's got crazy hair. He's got a crazy nickname. He's got terrible hair. I mean... The the nickname is bad enough, but when you have that hair to go along with it, and sorry to anyone who has the same haircut as John Adams in the in, in his most famous portraits, but it's bad hair.
1: Yeah, it's like party on either side, and oops, I partied a little too much in the middle.
0: <laughs> Desert in the middle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, anyway, uh, dude's the second president and the first vice president, right? So we should probably. Talk about them. And we're going to do a little few of these uh, biographies here and there, and it's nice to get a little more in-depth, and then we'll break it up, of course, with some other content as well. So just a heads up on what our plan is. Uh, We like talking about history, so that's what we're doing. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So let us know what you think. You, of course, can interact with us at Election College on Twitter and Facebook and all those great places. So yeah, let us know what you think. So John Adams, he was born way back in October of 1735. And of course, that was before the clocks changed or the calendar changed. So you could say he was born on the 30th of October or the 19th and you'd be right.
0: Yeah. Either way, you're probably going to be the right one. Uh, Not many people are going by the Julian calendar anymore these days. But hey, if you do, October 19th. Have fun. Uh, So he has two younger brothers, and uh, he was born in Braintree, Massachusetts, which actually now is called Quincy, Massachusetts. Spoiler alert for the future. And uh, there's actually a National Historic Park there where he was born called, go figure, Adams National Historical Park.
1: (laughs) So his dad was a Congregationalist deacon, and he was a farmer and a lieutenant in the militia and he also was involved in politics. He was a town councilman, and he supervised all kinds of stuff like the building of schools and roads.
0: Yeah, and basically Adam's whole family is like put together. They're very much a Puritan family. They're actually direct descendants of the Puritans who came over in the early 1600s and kind of helped establish the colonies and well, when you think about Puritan America, you're probably, even without knowing it, thinking about some of Adams' uh, Adams's ancestors. And he's very much influenced by this, at least in his early life, and his whole family is like, I guess you could say straight-laced would be a good word for it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And along with all of that, they were very into believing the Bible And they took those teachings and tried to relate that into their set of circumstances. And so Adam's relatives were like, you know what? We're fleeing England because, well, let's face it, that's like Egypt. And we are going to this awesome place, the city up on the hill. You've heard this talk about a city up on a hill. If you're going to be a positive politician, use that term from the Bible. (laughs) And that was very much what The Adams Family
0: was all about
1: coming to America and living out
0: their beliefs. Yeah. And John, as the oldest child, is pretty much, well, I won't want to say forced, but yeah, he was forced to get a formal education. And so, I mean, this starts when he's a little kid. He's six years old, going to a dame school, and it's actually at uh, in the home of a teacher, which is pretty common at that point. And later after that, he goes to a Latin school and studies some Latin, some rhetoric, some logic, some arithmetic, probably some other stuff too. And he hates it. I mean, most of his uh, talks and discussions about his early education were distasteful. And he he didn't like being disciplined at school. He didn't like being taught by the same teacher all the time, especially that teacher who wants to be taught by the same guy too, right? And uh, he's like, I I just want to be a farmer. Why do I have to do this? Yeah. So like any aspiring farmer, what do you do? You go to Harvard. Sounds like (laughs) a great idea,
1: right? (laughs) That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. So he turns 16 years old. He goes to Harvard College, and this is in 1751. And his dad is like, well, of course you're going to become a minister, right? And John is like, "Mm, no, I don't think so. I'm all about becoming a lawyer. And he further separated from his father and his heritage by saying, you know what? Uh, All the stuff about being a Calvinist and uh, having the beliefs like the Puritans. mm, I don't believe that either. I'm a Unitarian.
0: So he's doing his own thing. Yeah, if you know anything about Unitarians, they're like the opposite of Calvinists, other than the fact they believe in God. So if you could have turned any more further away from his parents than John Adams did, I would have liked to see you try. But anyway, the uh, the French and Indian War comes along, and John is like, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do here. I feel like I'm supposed to go fight because that's what a lot of people are doing. But a lot of people in, what do you say, my, my class standing are people who just kind of want to watch from the sidelines. So Adam says, I really, 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 really wanted to be a soldier. Um, I definitely didn't want to be a lawyer. However, spoiler alert, he becomes a lawyer.
1: Right. So in 1756, he becomes an apprentice in the office of John Putnam, who was a leading attorney in Worcester, Massachusetts. And by 1758, he's got his degree from Harvard and he's admitted to the bar and he is, well, he's ready to go. Degree in hand. He's got a job and he's publishing different essays. Now, the essays were written under the name Humphrey Plowjogger. Plowjogger?
0: Yeah, either one of those works. Yeah,
1: and uh, he was writing all kinds of stuff that was in opposition to
0: what English Parliament was imposing on the colonies. Yeah, and that kind of becomes a theme in his life in case you didn't have any idea uh, we'll get into that here in just a moment, but uh while he's working through his uh, law practice, he meets his third cousin named Abigail Smith, and they're like, "Well we might I mean we might as well get married because why not?" And so they do. They get married in October of seventeen sixty four and uh oh, Abigail's parents, her dad is a congregational minister. I don't really know if that caused any trouble between them, but it's certainly interesting that, oh, that's what his
1: dad was, too. Yeah. So, man, what is a third cousin? That's like if your grandparents were cousins, something like that.
0: I think it's far enough out that it's legal in the United States, but it still sounds creepy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: There's There's been closer relations that got married.
0: Uh, of course.
1: Yeah. So, hey, no condemnation there, John. So... um. 1765 rolls around and we got this crazy Stamp Act that was imposed by the British Parliament and the American legislatures had nothing to do with it. So you got all kinds of taxation without representation. Now, the big thing is who in the world is British Parliament? Because according to the colonists, the British Parliament had nothing to do with the colonies. Sure, they were both under the rule of the king. But you know what? British Parliament really wants some money. So yeah. so what it comes down to is, is this a power grab by Parliament? And if you're a colonist, you're going to say, um, that's exactly what it is. You want my money and you don't deserve it.
0: Well, unless you're a loyalist, and we don't need those guys anyway. So let's forget about them ever existing. We're doing some revisionist history here in the bad kind of way. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, so I mean, the Stamp Act comes along. Adams helps write the Braintree instructions, which are um, basically instructions to his own town. And those become the kind of guidelines for all the other colonies and all the other towns and everything. And basically, he's like, hey, the Stamp Act is bad. And if you are an Englishman, you are free. You have these rights. You should be taxed only by your consent. And you should be put under a trial only if you have basically a jury. So, yeah, he's already like, hey, King, Stop it. Hey, citizens, rise up.
1: Yeah. Hey, you want to talk about the Boston Massacre a little bit?
0: Yeah, I think that's probably a good idea. In March of 1770, it's the Boston Massacre. And it sounds like it's exciting, but it's really not.
1: Yeah. So some British soldiers, they kill five civilians, and these soldiers were accused of well, going out and killing Americans. <laughs> and that's not cool. Right. So They were arrested on criminal charges. And guess what? They have trouble finding representation. Go figure. Yeah. So John Adams, he's like, okay, I'll defend them, And he's like, this is going to kind of hurt my reputation. Actually, it's going to damage it a great deal. Yeah. But um, Adams is, he's making statements and he says... A pretty famous quote. He says, quote, Facts are stubborn things, and whatever may be our wishes, our inclinations, or the dictates of our passions, they cannot alter the state of facts and evidence. So he's defending them, and guess what? He gets them acquitted. Uh, at least six of the soldiers were acquitted. Um, two of them, actually, it was declared that they fired directly into the crowd and they were charged with murder, but hey, They were only convicted on manslaughter charges. And so Adams gets a little paycheck from the soldiers on this.
0: Yeah. And Adams actually kind of made, you know how you see in movies a lot of times, or even if you watch a lot of court TV, I suppose they're trying to select the jurors and one lawyer just keeps popping up and saying, Nope, 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 Nope. That's basically Adams. He pretty much makes the jury conform in such a way that... Well, it's kind of brilliant if you think about it, but he makes the jury conform in such a way that there is no chance he's going to lose. And of course, we know he didn't. Yeah. So
1: with all this increased exposure and let's face it, the guy can talk, right? Hey, why not get involved in politics? It seems like that would be the job for you. Of course. Yeah. So he's doing his lawyer thing and his family decides, you know what, let's uh, let's move out to the country. Um, but guess what? John's like, you know what? I think I'll stay here in Boston for a while and work really hard. And I can't imagine this, Ben, shipping your family off because they had, what, six kids?
0: I a think lot, five of yeah. them
1: survived. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. the The fam is off in Braintree and he's in Boston. He's like... Good times. I'm going to work by 6 a.m. and work until nine o'clock at night. And nobody's going to bother me because I'm going to devote
0: myself wholly to this. I uh, know. I've, I mean, I've worked longer days than that many times, but I've never thought, man, I'm so happy to be working instead of with my family. Um, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. That might be one of his character flaws, but needless to say, he was definitely devoted uh, to his work.
1: Yeah. So, uh, and just a little spoiler alert, they all get reunited. He decides to move out to the country and Mm -hmm. hang out with Abigail. But uh, anyway, hey, all of the stuff about the British Parliament and all of that, it continues. It's crazy. There's all kinds of acts being passed. Uh, There's the Coercive Acts and the Tea Act, which the British Parliament was like, Yep, we're going to impose these on you. And Adams and his cohorts in Boston are like, "Uh, no, thank you. We hate you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then uh, just to show you how much we hate you, we're throwing a tea party. And of course, the colonists do. They throw all the tea overboard and it's pretty much in protest directly to the British acts of the Coercive Acts and the Tea Act. And... Adams, well, we don't know for sure if he was like directly involved actually out there throwing tea overboard, but a lot of people thought he might've been, and especially the British thought he might've been. So they actually detained him and talked to him for a little bit. And he's like, I didn't do it, but I'm pretty happy they did. So whatever (laughs) that means.
1: Way to go. Hey, Ben, did you realize that that was in today's money? That's a million bucks that they poured I know. Into Boston
0: Harbor. That's a lot of Pepsi.
1: Yeah. It's crazy. I wonder how many fish enjoyed the tea? Or died. Yeah. Ugh. Can can fish swim in tea? Uh for a time, I'm sure. Huh.
0: If anybody uh, happens to know that, don't try it. But if you know, off just yeah. offhand, if they can swim in tea, let us know.
1: And maybe somebody can remind us to Google caffeine's effects on fish. <laughs> oh man yeah so yeah so Adams is pretty much a a statesman or a colony man for Massachusetts and uh, the colony decides to send Adams to the Continental Congress in 1774 and he does that for the first Continental Congress and the second and Of course, we've talked about the Continental Congress. The original intent is to provide representation for the colonies. And he's like serving away. He's saying, you know what? Trials should be jury trials. Everybody should have a presumption of innocence until proven guilty. Um, You should have some sort of representation. And guess what? the people who live in a certain area should have representation if they're going to be taxed. You detect a theme here?
0: Uh, I think I do. Yeah. And it's also important to remember, I think a lot of times when we think of these patriots, these founding fathers, the people at the Continental Congress, it's easy to think, oh yeah, they just got together and wrote the Declaration of Independence and said, forget you, Britain. But really the point of everything was to try and work things out, to try and have representation together and to work things out. And it just became, there were too many differences. You can decide who's wrong or right, but there were certainly too many differences to reconcile. So then we get into the whole, like let's leave our whole home country thing.
1: Yeah. And you can imagine it looks like a really big deal to leave Uh Great Britain. Right. Yeah. And considering that they have this huge army and a huge Navy, how in the world will the Americans go up against that? But Adams and his cohorts in the Continental Congress, they always saw themselves as being Americans. It wasn't a matter of um, anything, but yes, we are loyal to the King and we do what he says British Parliament has no say in what we do. So they were seeing it as, oh, Parliament has usurped its authority. And
0: here we go. You crazy British people. Back off. Even though we are British people. Something like that. You're crazy, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Hey, <laughs> so in in uh, June of 1775, uh, they're still trying to get the colonies united. Especially John Adams, who's like super on board at this point with leaving Great Britain. He's like, you know, who I think should be the commander in chief of the army? How about George Washington? He's vir- of course from Virginia. I mean, we like him. Everybody likes him. He pretty much. He's, you know, he's probably going to be like president someday or something. So probably, yeah, let's go ahead and make him the commander in chief. And everybody in Congress pretty much respects John Adams because he talks a lot and he is smart and he writes very well and is a go getter. And they're like, okay, yeah, let's just do that. We're good. Yeah. And, you know, this was something that
1: I've been thinking a lot about since we were talking about, um, George Washington last week about what a strategic move it was to have George Washington be the commander in chief, because a lot of what we're seeing here now, I don't want to discount the fact that there were events going on in the South, and I do recommend watching the movie, The Patriot, and and, and know that we do acknowledge that there were aspects of the revolution big things that were going on in the South. But what we have here is a bunch of new Englanders who are very active in the fight and in the continental Congress, they need some advocates from the South. So this was a very smart decision to have Washington be the commander in chief. And I guess I never saw that regionalism, uh, I always thought okay these colonies really want to be separate they want to be very distinct from each other but even back then they were calling on people who may not have been from their locality to head things up so
0: i don't know It's kind of yeah. a big deal getting a yeah. virginian i mean locality has been a theme i think throughout all, what is it now, 108 episodes of uh, election college and pretty much the last 250 years of the United States. So yeah, it certainly mattered a lot to get somebody who was from the South and well, who was just the right guy for the job, I guess you could say.
1: Yeah, so yay, George, yay, John Adams. And uh, Adams, he, uh, he was the man. I mean, people were asking him all about what it's like to form a new government
0: yeah they pretty much were like hey what do you think and he told them and then they were like dude write write a book put them in the paper (laughs) or something do something with this and he's like no i'm just gonna write you guys letters that's pretty cool but as he thought about it more and more they got a little bit longer and they got more thoughtful and with, uh, with Adam's consent, Richard Henry Lee actually gets this giant letter printed, and they actually publish it anonymously in 1776, which hopefully that year should ring a bell. And it's called Thoughts on Government, and it's basically just styled like a letter, just a letter from one guy to another. And there's so, many, so much influence on America from just this work Just this collaboration or combination of different things that Adams wrote, uh, it kind of really can't be overstated how much impact it had then and now into the present.
1: Yeah. So when everybody's flipping out about electing a president, we have John Adams largely to thank for what we know as separation of powers between the executive, judicial, and legislative and legislative branches of government. And what this means is you're not going to elect a president and he or she is going to just be a tyrant and bowl over everything. You're going to have two other branches of government that are going to temper that. So what wisdom was that, that Adams would think of that, where you're not going to have just one person barreling over everyone? So I take great comfort in that because no matter what's going on in today's political landscape, hey, you've got two other branches that have to be tempered, have right. to temper that.
0: Yeah. Uh, Jason, have you ever heard of the Declaration of Independence? Uh,
1: I think I, uh, yeah, yeah. That was the one where um, we the people, right?
0: Yeah, that's that's the one I was talking no, about. That's not <laughs> <laughs> uh I think that I think you're thinking of a preamble to the constitution. But I digress. What constitution? So there's this what they called the a committee of five that is basically they'd say, Hey, uh write the declaration of independence, you guys. And they're like, all right, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, there's John Adams, of course, Thomas Jefferson, which is the one we probably most closely associate with the Declaration of Independence, Benjamin Franklin, Robert Livingston, and Roger Sherman. And basically, they get together. They talk about an outline that everybody should follow. And they're like, hey, uh, Thomas Jefferson, you write the first draft. And Thomas Jefferson's like, no, Adams should write the first draft. And – Adams is like, I'm not going to do it and you should do it. So Jefferson kind of gets stuck with it (laughs) in the end. I guess it's kind of funny. There was an argument over who should write one of the most influential pieces of documentation in America's history.
1: Yeah, I love that one of the reasons Adam was like, "Um, hey, TJ, you need to write it is because, hey, you're a Virginian and I'm obnoxious (laughs) and you write better. So there you go.
0: Yeah. He actually cited himself as being obnoxious. So more power to him, I guess. He he knew how people thought about him.
1: Yeah. So let's just say that a declaration was written. So the declaration is written. And of course, that ticks a lot of people off (laughs) across the pond. And the British are all at war with the Patriots. And... Adams essentially becomes the guy who is like the secretary of war during this time. And he's thinking of, while all this is going on, hmm, what does a peace treaty look like? And he's orchestrating a lot of that. um, I don't know if you would even say diplomatic aspect of the revolution. He's already thinking, okay, this is how we're going to broker peace with these guys.
0: Yeah. And that becomes a big part of his job is just to be a diplomat uh, to Europe in general and France specifically at first. And then he was also uh, an ambassador to Holland and to Great Britain as well. Uh, The problem with being an ambassador to France and really being a diplomat at that time is Adams didn't speak French. And (laughs) uh, French is actually like the prominent language that everybody does business in. So now it's English. Uh, Even then, to some extent, in certain areas of the world, it was English. But if you're going to go and do something diplomatic, you're going to speak in French, or at least write in French.
1: He didn't know how. Yeah. And just a tip, if you're going to go to France, try to speak the language (laughs) because... Even if you don't know how to speak, especially now, um, they'll, they'll give you an A for effort, right? Absolutely. But, but it doesn't really bode well that Adams didn't speak French. And we all know that TJ did. And that serves him very well later on. But Adams is doing his thing. He's going all over Europe and forging alliances. He's, he's doing really well with it. I mean, the Dutch Republic, they're like, hey, we like you. John, we like the United States. We're going to support you. And, uh, Prussia is like, Hey, we're going to trade with you. And by the way, Great Britain. Yeah. Why don't you become our ambassador? (laughs) So, so in 1785, Adams was appointed as the first American minister to the court of St. James's. Now, what that means is that he basically is the ambassador He goes into London and he's like, guess what, guys? I don't have a drop of English blood in me, even though he kind of did. No, he's like, I am an American and
0: deal with it. Yeah. Get over it is kind of the approach he takes and, um, It's kind of funny because just a few years earlier, they have his name on a list of people that basically can never be pardoned. And now he's there as the ambassador. (laughs) So, um, whoops, I guess that's what's going to happen. But basically, John Adams is revered during that time as an amazing ambassador. He went to many different places. He didn't have success in some. He had a lot of success in others. But I think his main goal was to make th- make sure things were moving smoothly and working as they should have, so um Adam's wife at, at one point Abigail came over, and um they didn't like her very much, and they didn't like him very much either as a as a <laughs> right. whole but uh overall, he did a lot of good work.
1: Let's fast forward just a little bit to nineteen seventy six right? We're all celebrating the bicentennial and your birth, yeah. Oh man, 40 is looming. It is coming. So, (laughs) Queen Elizabeth II, she is talking about John Adams. And she says, John Adams, America's first ambassador, said to my ancestor, King George III, that it was his desire to help with the restoration of the quote, old good nature and the old good humor between our peoples. And she said, that restoration has long been made, and the links of language, tradition, and personal contact have maintained it. So you can pretty much credit John Adams with being the one who set the tone, the positive tone between the United States and Great Britain, believe it or not.
0: Yeah. And we are going to wrap it up for this episode. And in the next episode, we will talk about from this point forward in John Adams' life, including his vice presidency and presidency and all that good stuff. Sorry if you didn't know. He was going to be the president someday. Oh, I just will it for you. But if you Don't want to be an ambassador, that <laughs> that's right. No, not at all. If you want to be an ambassador to all of your friends, um, please do go out and tell them about election college. As I have said many times, and Jason has said many times and many other people smarter than us have said many times, the best way to get the word out is by you. So tell your friends, um, Post it online if you want, but if you tell somebody face-to-face or over a text message or something about Election College, that's the best way you can really spread the word about the show. Of course, we like you to do all that other stuff, too. We're on all the social networks at Election College. Um, We'd love to interact with you there, but the best way is to say, hey, have you heard about Election College?
1: Yeah, even if it's just one person you share it with, hey, they need to hear it take a break from the current political scene and dive into history with us of course you can interact with us on twitter facebook and instagram at election college and don't forget you can help support the podcast by visiting our amazon affiliate link go to electioncollege.com slash amazon you will be taken to the amazon site go shop and you help support the podcast when you do that
0: Thank you, especially for the last few weeks where we've had an astonishing uh, number of downloads and listens and everything else. Uh, We are really happy to do the show for like five people, but it's really cool when we know that lots, lots more than that are listening. So thanks. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see you next time.